0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it, if you would, to Exodus chapter 4, and let me give you just a little brief rundown of uh, what we've done the last two weeks. Uh, Started off in Germany in an 8 o'clock, 8.30 class um, last Tuesday morning, uh, teaching uh, pastoral ministry. Uh, They use a book that I wrote years ago that's used in some of the seminaries. They translated it into German, and um, I had the privilege to go in and teach the class that's using my textbook uh, there. So spent the day, did that, and got up Wednesday morning and uh, and, uh, went up to have a staff meeting with all of the professors that were there at the seminary, the Bible seminary in Bonhoeffer, and uh, spent some time with them, had lunch with them, then went in to teach uh, a class on Old Testament hermeneutics how do you preach Old Testament passages, which I'm about to do, and the last thing I shared with them, this is about a three-hour class, the last thing I shared with them was always be Christocentric in looking at Old Testament passages, that is, always look for Christ. So and you're going to see that today as you come to Exodus chapter 4. That night, went to preach, had a larger crowd than this in a church in Germany, in Bonhoeffer on a Wednesday night. Uh, I was just stunned at the crowd that was there. Um, They had assigned me a passage, not a passage I would have chosen at all. Ezekiel 34, go look it up, go home this afternoon, just look up Ezekiel 34. That's what I had to preach. I preached for 50 minutes. I got through, I prayed with the people and I stepped down. And as I did, the pastor came running up to me and he said, we've got 15, 20 more minutes. You want to to preach some more? I was stunned. I, I passed out right there it it just it just so stunned me um and then of course um uh Sunday morning this time last week, I had preached in three services um at the nine o'clock service, the eleven o'clock service, and they have a one o'clock service these are two hour services <laughs> um and, and they we it, it was it, it was um and then let me I'll come back to that. Uh, then went to London and went up to Enfield and spent some time with and looked at all of our church plants that are up in Enfield, Silver Street, and which some of you went to help work on that facility and uh, met all of the guys. We sat in a staff meeting. All of these guys are mid-20s to mid-30s, and they are in incredibly difficult places with their wives and their children, and God is growing their churches unbelievably, and so I'm, I'm there with 20-something-year-olds and 30-something-year-olds in the middle of a staff meeting and sharing with them and talking to them about strategy, things like that. Went off to see our plant, where we're going to plant. They've, there's a facility there that's got to be worked on, but they're going to raise that. They'll tear it down. They'll put up this new uh, multi-story building, and the entire first floor will be the church. Uh, so went there up. Uh, off of turkey street it's a place of just turkish immigrants muslims uh, that are there Uh, one of the great stories that came out of this was a muslim woman came to silver street a couple of weeks ago and threw an app on a telephone Uh, she in arabic the preacher there lucas a young guy's got to be in his early 30s and and, uh, he said we talked back and forth through an app And, and so um uh, as they began to share, she said, I'm tired of Islam. Uh, there is no love. I can find no love uh, of Allah anywhere in Islam, but I do hear about the love of Jesus Christ, and I've come to find out about the love of Jesus Christ. Now, that's what's going on in the church. You wonder, well, we give our money to this church. What are you doing? That's what we're doing. We're helping these young pastors over there. And let me tell you something. In the budget that you have voted We will give close to 20% this coming year to missions. That's what we will be giving. And I want to tell you, there are few churches anywhere giving that much of a percentage to missions uh, um, anywhere in this convention or anywhere in this country. So we're committed to that. We're committed to seeing people. So last Sunday this time, I was in these three services, preached in these three services uh, had an interpreter there uh, to translate it into German had to have an interpreter in England I don't know what they speak over there, but <laughs> anyway um, uh, took the lord's Supper and all, all with these con- with this congregation, these three different congregations in this church and the place was packed out and uh, watched them baptize um, eight new believers in jesus Christ and by the way i'm I'm still I'm just in the euphoria. That this time last week, when I gave an invitation, I gave a little unusual invitation. And normally the German Baptists don't give invitations. And I gave one. We had men and women saved. So I'm living in the afterglow of the fact God gave me fruit in Germany. And uh, a a young boy, uh, the youngest one that was baptized must have been 13, 14, 15 years old, was the son of a beautiful young lady that came up to Debbie and said to Debbie, you counseled with me and talked with me a number of years ago when we came over as interns to First Baptist Church of Jacksonville. So she was there, and her son, was her husband baptized too? So her, the, the young ladies, what did you tell that girl? Um, so the girl's husband and her son were baptized last Sunday. So, And as I sat there, let me tell you, it was, uh, it was kind of surreal, and I'll tell you why. And, and you won't really appreciate it, but I spent six and a half of my years literally doing research on Anabaptists uh, who gave their lives because they believed that the New Testament taught that you must profess your faith in Jesus Christ and then be baptized rather than being sprinkled as a baby. And they built their arguments uh, of why they believe this, and literally tens of thousands were killed because they were adamant uh, that they wanted to follow the New Testament and be baptized as a believer, as someone who had professed faith in Christ and then uh, was uh, baptized as a believer. So I, I watched them do that. I watched these Germans, you know, their ancestors had lived and died for this right. And I, I did my PhD dissertation on that, and I was just sitting there, just soaking all of this in. Um, baptism is the sign of the new covenant. Now, I'm telling you that up front because now you're coming to a passage In Exodus chapter 4, where circumcision is the sign of the old covenant. Covenant is very important. In fact, I'm going to give you the thesis statement now, and I'm telling you I'm giving you the thesis statement, and it's this, God takes seriously his covenant of salvation. Now, that's everything that you're going to see this morning. God takes very seriously. We don't take it seriously. You're going to see Moses did not take the sign of the old covenant seriously, and we today don't take seriously the sign of the new covenant, which is baptism. Um, When you come to Scripture, all of Scripture, you have to understand that God has, has worked with humanity in covenants. There is an Adamic covenant. God made, makes a covenant with Adam that you'll live here in the garden in paradise. Can you imagine what living in paradise would be? The environment there, everything was perfect. Everything was absolutely perfect in paradise. God had created it all. God planted the garden, and he said just so long as you never take a piece of fruit and eat it off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, you know, you'll be fine. You, you, you can stay here in this perfect paradise. But Adam could not do that. He sinned. He rebelled against God. And let me tell you, this is where the problem comes. Uh, You could take your copy of God's Word, and you could go to the 17th chapter of Jeremiah. And when man sins, when Adam sins, we all sin. And uh, all of us are sinners. We are literally, we are born with a sin nature And what God tells the prophet uh, Jeremiah is this. In Jeremiah 17, verse 1, he says, listen. He says, the sin of Judah is written with pins of iron and points of diamond. That their sin is engraved on their hearts. Now, that's a serious word, isn't it? Well, what in the world is going to help me get rid of of what's written on my human heart, what's written into my life, into my mind, into my nature, if it was written there by pens of iron with points of diamond, engraved on me, the sin of my life, the sin of Adam, the sin of my own fallenness, what is going to take that away? Covenant. You hold it in your hand. You've got one that's called the Old Covenant, And you've got in your hand the one that is called the new covenant. And under the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, if I think about it, we'll get to that in just a little bit, you've got this whole new covenant that is going to come. And what that covenant is going to do is it's going to rewrite what has been written on your heart by sin. Now, you just think we can rewrite new codes on computers God was thinking about this long time before there was ever a computer. He's going to rewrite, reprogram what's in your life. He's going to write over it with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, you have to remember all of this. You come from that to the Noahic covenant. There's a covenant with Noah, and Noah enters into that covenant. God puts a bow in the sky that is so grossly taken out of context and blasphemously used today for something else. But that covenant that was in the sky was, I will never destroy man again by a flood. And then it's not long after that that Noah sins, goes off into sin. And so does his his son. And so you've got that, and you come now to the covenant made with Abraham that we'll come to back in Genesis chapter 17. And you're going to see that there where God enters into covenant with him And he tells uh, Abraham, I'm going to give you a covenant that I will bless all the nations of the world through your seed. Paul picks this up in Galatians chapter 3. Through his seed, not seeds, plural, but a seed. One person is going to come, and through that one person, there is going to be a new covenant. And all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through this one person who is the coming Messiah. Now you come To Exodus chapter 4 and you've got some idea of covenant in your mind because all of this deals in the context of covenant. You can't make heads nor tails out of this passage until you begin to understand what God is doing. He's referring to his covenant of salvation and God takes his covenant of salvation seriously. So let me show you two things in this passage. This is a difficult passage folks. It's not difficult just because I said so, but every commentator and theologian I've come across says this is the most difficult passage in the book of Exodus. I I would say it's one of the top three most difficult in all of Scripture. I've studied this thing for three weeks just to get some basic understanding so I can share with you this morning, and it all points to Jesus Christ. This is the strangest, weirdest, most bizarre Christmas story you'll ever hear. Nobody ever preaches this passage. You know why? Because they got sense. I'm just sorry. You've got a pastor that doesn't. So I'm going to try to tackle it now, and I want you to see something that God, listen, God will confront those who challenge his covenant of salvation, his plan of salvation. God says, I will confront you if you attempt in some kind of way to mess with my plan of salvation, my covenant of salvation. Now, he sends Moses back to Egypt. Got your Bibles open there? Here we are, Exodus chapter 4. Let me pick it up in verse 19. Now, the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. Now, he tells Moses, Everybody that's seeking your life is dead, but I'm going to tell you something. This is kind of a wild part of this chapter. Here's a chapter where God's out to kill people. Now, that ought to get you attention. One or two of you looked up, but that ought to, everybody ought to look up and say, What are you talking about? God's out to kill people in this chapter, um, which is strange, and it's strange because um, God, we don't think of God in those terms. But I just watch this because there are two people mentioned here that he's going to kill. And he's going to carry through with it with one of them. Um, so he comes and he says, listen, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Now they're dead, but Moses is going to meet God and God's going to be seeking his life. Just hang on, we'll get to that. So Moses took his wife and his sons and he mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. He says, Moses, I'm going to give you this up front. I'm telling you what to do. Go back there. Show him all of these signs. But I'm telling you up front, he will not do what you're going to request. He is not going to let the people go. And Moses is going to go there, and he's going to perform one sign after another. You remember the first meeting with Pharaoh? He performs the two signs that God had shown him. But then they're going to come the plagues on Egypt, one sign after another, And after the first sign, Pharaoh's gonna say no. And after the second sign, he's gonna say, he may acquiesce a little bit, but then he goes back on his word. And so Moses is gonna perform sign after sign after sign because of the power of God. And Pharaoh is gonna say, no, 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 nine times no. But the tenth time, God's gonna tell you here what he's going to do. Now, watch it what he says. He comes and he says this, then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. Now, just kind of catch this. God is talking about his firstborn. Here in the old covenant, it is Israel. In the new covenant, it's going to be his son, Jesus Christ. So it's kind of interesting that he begins this by talking about his son. My son is Israel. Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. You won't let mine go, I'm going to kill yours. You've got my, my firstborn son, I'm going to get your firstborn son. And so he tells Pharaoh, because you've done this, because you will not listen, you are interfering with the plan of salvation of almighty, sovereign God. And I want to tell you something, your being Pharaoh doesn't impress me at all. I'm God. Now, the interesting thing is that Pharaoh was always understood to be God himself. He was the son of Ra. The son of the God, Ra, he was on earth, the manifestation of Ra. And God says, listen, that doesn't impress me at all. You let my son go. If you don't do that, I'm going to take the life of your son, and we're going to find out who really is God here in all of this. So here is the thing. The thing is this. Do not mess with God's plan of salvation. You don't mess with it, you don't tweak it, you don't twist it, you don't refine it, you don't try to tune it up, you don't do anything with it. It is God's perfect plan of salvation. And here is a man, a ruler of the greatest empire in the world at that time, that looks at God and says, that may be your plan, I've got a different plan, and I'm not going to let your children go. And God says, oh, you want to make a bet? You're going to let them go. You're not only going to let them go, you're going to thrust them out of the land. You're going to push them out of the land when I get through with you. Now, let me tell you something, regardless of who it is, whether it's a man in power, whether it's a government, whether it is a nation, whether it is an empire, whether it is somebody who is a boss, or somebody who is a neighbor, I want to tell you something. Understand this. You don't challenge God's plan of salvation. You don't change it. You don't challenge it. I had the opportunity this week. Uh, I, I was, uh, when we landed Sunday night in uh, London, and uh, I, I, we had determined, I, I was, spent the day with uh, Nathan and looking at the churches and all of that, but Tuesday I wanted to go to Oxford. Uh, never been to Oxford, wanted to get out to Oxford. I was looking for several things. One, I had a lady who had just finished her Ph.D. Uh, over there at Oxford uh, who did it in, in the area of the nonconformist, and I needed to talk to her to find out resources on the Anabaptists, which she gave me one, in it's on order, and it's on the way here. Amen. And I'm going to order some more. <laughs> um, and so I was thrilled to get to be able to talk to her about this whole area that nobody else is interested in. Uh, and then she took us to some places and we walked into the University Church of St. Mary's, which was built in the, you know, long, back, I think back in the 1400s, maybe earlier than that, may have been earlier than that. But the church was built and Mary is there prominently over the door when you walk in because it was a period of counter-reformation when those academic elites, and they're always a problem. Those academic elites were trying to move the Anglican church back under the Roman church. Mary Tudor, Mary I, also known as Bloody Mary, was ruling. And as she ruled, she was trying to force. And so she becomes Bloody Mary because of all of the people that she kills, all of the Protestants that she kills. And there in the University Church of St. Mary's at Oxford, I walked in and she brought me over to a column that was there. And she said, over here sat the jury. They held court inside the church, believe it or not. And there is the jury and there is the judge and here are the barristers that are there the lawyers that that were there, and all of them. And she said the rest of the church was packed. Men were standing shoulder to shoulder. The place was packed out as they brought in three men, three Protestants, who would not relent against the authority of the Word of God. One was named Latimer, one Ridley, and a little later Cranmer. And she stood me next to that column there, and she says, you're standing there where Cranmer stood when they passed sentence on him, and from this spot they took him out into the street. And We went out into the street, just out beyond, just some ways out beyond, and then out of the gates of Oxford there into an ancient street. There was a Christmas market, an English Christmas market set up, people walking, uh, doing all kinds of things. Here was a jewelry stand. Uh, that was there, and right here in the ground was a cleared-out place. And out of stone was a cross. And she says, "That's where they burned Cranmer. They brought him out to a bonfire and they burned. Ridley was burned here. Latimer was burned here. And you think because of the power of the throne of the British Empire that it would challenge the salvation of God?" And yet, as Latimer looks at the young man, Ridley, he says, uh, uh, he says uh, play the man, Mr. Ridley. It's the same word that David gave to Solomon. David is dying. He's in the bed, and Solomon comes in, and he looks at Solomon, and he says, be a man, son, be a man. It's the same thing Latimer said to Ridley. Play the man, Mr. Ridley, for this day, we may light a candle in England by God's grace that will never be put out. And as I stood there and I looked at that place and people walking past and going around me as I'm standing there looking at this place and no one there understanding or knowing or caring, what is this place right here? Why is this different here? Is that men stood here and died for their faith in Jesus Christ and the authority of the word of God And I thought to myself, that flame has not gone out, though no one else here pays it any attention. It burns in my heart. Regardless of who it is, nation, emperor, empire, president, supreme court, governor, no matter who, you don't tamper. With the sovereign plan of salvation of Almighty God. Now, do you know what that says to you? Your salvation is settled. Settled, done, taken care of. God will not let anything or anyone interfere with it. Now, that's a good word. That's a reason to shout. That's a reason to say amen. 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 That God will allow nothing to mess with our salvation. Let me show you the second thing, and the second thing is this. Is that God confronts those who would compromise his covenant of salvation. Now, one deals with the person who's on the outside of the family of faith, which was Pharaoh. This one deals with one who is on the inside of the family of faith, which is Moses. Now, church, this is the most bizarre passage you'll ever come across. It's extremely difficult. Let me say up front, I am not making any kind of puns or any kind of fun whatsoever. So if something comes out of my mouth that is not exactly right, it is not meant to be funny. I don't want to see myself on YouTube on this passage saying something crazy. Um, But it's a delicate subject. It deals with circumcision. Circumcision. It deals with this whole picture of the covenant in the Old Testament. Now, it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him. That is, the Lord met Moses. Now, I don't know how he appeared. We're not told how he appeared. You know, there are a lot of things I wish Scripture would tell me that doesn't tell me, which simply tells me this. God gave me what he wanted me to know, and what he did not want me to know, he did not give me. (laughs) I don't know if he appeared as a man. I don't know if he appeared as a person. I don't know. You remember when when the angel appeared uh, before the donkey of Balaam, and the donkey could see it, but Balaam could not? I don't know if he appeared as an angel. I have no idea how he appeared, but somehow he was coming for Moses. And he was not coming just to have tea with Moses. He was coming to kill him. Now here, look at this, because this is the interesting thing. Moses knew that. It came about at the lodging place on the way the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Now Moses evidently understood this. Not only did Moses know that God was there and that God was there to kill him, but Zephora knew that God was there and that God was there to kill her husband. Not only did they both know that, but listen, let me tell you, they knew why. They not only knew why, but now listen, let me give you one more. They knew the remedy for the situation, and Moses, unlike the spiritual leader that he should have been, Zephora, the wife, leads the way, gets a knife, and circumcises her son. Now, I just have to add, if that's not icky enough to have to preach... I just want you to understand something, and this even makes it more uncomfortable. They'd been married for years, 40 years. 40, 40 40 years. These boys were in their 30s. Now, I tried to obey my mama, but not that much. And you say, that's just uncomfortable. This whole passage means to make you uncomfortable. Compromise compromise brings families to the point to where they're so uncomfortable we don't know what to do with it. So Zephora takes a flint knife, which is a stone that has been like the Indians would take and they would put an edge on a piece of flint. She took that, she cut off her son's foreskin And she threw, verse 25, she threw it at Moses' feet. Now, let me give you the actual Hebrew there. And after studying this for three weeks and looking at everything I could look at in this, that's really a poor interpretation there. Literally, she did not throw it at his feet. She took the foreskin uh, that was full of blood, and she smeared Literally, the Hebrew, she smeared it on his feet. Now, I think I understand What's happening here, I'll try to remember to come back to it. But now that's what she does with it right there. She takes that foreskin full of blood and she smears it on the feet of Moses. And there's a reason for that. Now all of us understand and we know what circumcision is. I don't have to explain that to you. But let me tell you something. Moses is always identified with the law Uh, But here, you've got this ritual that God gave, not to Moses, God gave it to Abraham. By the way, let me tell you something about circumcision. Um, The Jews under the Seleucids, the Greeks, uh, were forbidden to circumcise their sons. Now, if you go back, I can take you back, but I don't have time to do it. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 17, God looks at Abraham and he tells Abraham, he says, listen, you're 99 years old. This time next year, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a boy. And, of course, Abraham looks at him and says, listen, let let Ishmael be my son. He said, no, 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 no. This is going to come from you and Sarah. Now, folks, in in all of this, there's so much I'd love to tell you, so much that's wrapped up here. He says, it's going to come from you. It's going to come from Sarah. And it's going to be in that seed that is a descendant from this boy, from you and Sarah. And this boy is going to be the seed, God's Messiah. Now, let let me just let you in on something. If God can make Adam without a man and a woman, and God can make Eve from a man and no woman, God can incarnate his son using a woman and no man. Did y'all get that? Well, it didn't impress you, did it? Well, let me tell you something. You better be thankful for it. I believe in the virgin birth. No virgin birth, no sinless life, no sinless savior, no sacrifice that'll save you from your sin. There was a virgin birth, and it wasn't difficult for God to do at all. Now, God comes and he says to Abraham, you're gonna have a boy this time next year. Out of the impossible is gonna come the possible. And he says, uh, so in order to prepare for that, let me tell you something, 99-year-old man, go circumcise yourself. <laughs> and then you take that 13-year-old boy, Ishmael, and you circumcise him and then you take every male in this camp of yours, everybody that's one of your servants, everybody that's in your family, everybody that you've purchased, you go and you circumcise every one of them. That's the sign of my covenant. Now, the sign of the covenant of the Old Testament was circumcision, which is a bloody picture of sacrifice. Now, it is bloody, and it is painful. I held one of my grandson's, in my arms as a Jewish mole um, circumcised him. There's a lot of blood and a lot of screaming going on. I've seen it done before. I've seen Jews do this in Israel. I've been there and watched them do this. And it is a picture of the old covenant. It's a picture of the old covenant, and it's a picture of the covenant that is made in blood. I'm a part of that covenant is what Abraham would say when he circumcised uh, his son, Ishmael. And he said, you take Isaac on the eighth day and you circumcise him. And he said, all of the sons of Israel will be circumcised. Or they will, literally, he's using a play on the word, you either cut off the foreskin or they will be cut out of the covenant. One or the other. And so, Abraham does that. Moses had over 500 years of history to reflect on, and he should have known what he should have done. And he simply simply did not do that. Now you come because circumcision now was looking forward to the one that God would send because the old covenant had been broken. Remember? Do I have to go back and tell you it was written on their hearts? With pins of iron, with points of diamond, the sin of Judah, all of the sin that in our life was written on our heart. But listen, how is that going to be rewritten? Not through the law that we associate with Moses, but through a new covenant. There's going to be a new covenant made, and that covenant is going to be cut in the heart. Now, let me show you this. Put your finger right there. Let me go. Go with me quickly to Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. And I want you to listen to what uh, the prophet says there. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was husband to them. By the way, the covenant is always seen as, as a marriage covenant between God and his people. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. Now listen to this. He says, I'm going to rewrite what is on your sinful heart. The sin will be erased, it will be gone, and I will write my name in your heart. Amen. Amen. They will not, and listen to what he says. He's looking toward... These prophets could never tell the difference between the first and the second coming of Christ. They saw them both, and they blended together. He's talking about the first coming of Christ, and now he lapses into the second coming when uh, God will set up the millennial reign here on this earth. And he says, they will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. He says, in that millennial reign, you'll never get to do evangelism again. You'll never get to share Jesus Christ again. You better be doing it now. Because once he comes back and establishes his reign, everybody's going to know Jesus Christ. Y'all, <laughs> l- y- 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 listen. If I can get to Germans day, amen me, surely to goodness you English can. Amen? amen. Thank the Lord. Amen. It'll be a day unlike any day we've ever seen, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Wow, that's under the new covenant. That's the covenant to come. Now listen, the old covenant had circumcision as a sign. It looked toward that day when a new covenant would come. Now the new covenant has come. What is the sign and the symbol of the new covenant? Baptism. So that when we take someone into that baptistry and we lay them back, it's like burying them in the tomb. And when we bring them up, it's a picture of resurrection. Because Paul says this, listen, I have died with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so it is a perfect picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. This is what will happen to us. We are new covenant people, and so we bear. But do you know what? We think lightly of baptism, don't we? Yes, pastor, you are right. For many in the church have brushed it. That's not important. That's not for me. I don't have to have baptism in order to be saved. You don't have to have baptism in order to be saved, but you have to have baptism to be obedient And do you know what this whole passage is telling me? Now you come to the whole question now. Why didn't Moses do this? Why didn't Moses do it? Why did he not circumcise these boys like a spiritual leader should have done? Well, Moses writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes it really clear why Moses did not do this. Because it is stated twice. Right here, you read, right in this passage, Zephor took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin, threw it as if she took it, she smeared the blood on his feet, and she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. That is, God didn't kill him. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood. Why was he a bridegroom of blood? Because of the circumcision. It's interesting how Scripture will answer itself. If you want to know the question, why why did she say because of the circumcision? She didn't like it. Now, her father, Jethro, was the priest of the Midianites for the one true living God. He He believed in Jehovah. He believed in Yahweh. He lived at the Mount of God. He is a godly man. He is a wise man. He's going to give Moses wise direction and counsel in the days to come. Uh, But he was a Gentile. Uh, None of this was required of the Gentiles. It was required of the Jews. And so she had never experienced that growing up in a home that worshiped Jehovah, that worshiped the one true living God. She had never heard of this or experienced this. And she thought to herself, listen, this is just too much. Now, I'm going to come down to the whole of the application of this passage, and the application of the passage is this. Don't compromise the Word of God for anybody. Why didn't Moses do it? Because he wanted to keep peace in the family. And instead of keeping peace in the family, what did he do? He created a terrible situation. Let me tell you something. I have watched over the years, 43 years of pastoring, Over 43 years of pastoring, I have watched women that have tried to lead their husbands into compromise when it came to the Word of God. I have seen men who have worked and led their wives and their families into compromise, and it never turns out well. I've watched parents who have, because they love those little children so much, they have compromised the Word of God over and over and over again just to make the children happy, just in order to get the children to love them. We just absolutely cannot bear to think that a child of ours would be unhappy with us, and I have seen it turn out to be disastrous. It is better to, be, to take the stand and to make the hard decision and to do what God has called us to do than it is to compromise his word because at the end of all of that's going to be death at the end of all that's going to be death. There's going to be a horrible horrible situation. This would have been much better if Moses had simply looked at his wife and said, "This is what God has told me to do. I understand your feelings, but I have to be obedient to God and circumcise those boys." Well, there you go. You can say a lot of things about me, but gutless you cannot accuse me of that. And every bit of this points to the one who will come who will not be born of the human instrument that is circumcised but will be born the miracle of Almighty God himself. We have to learn to take stands, folks. It's hard we don't live in an easy day you know we were sitting on a on the on the on the tube as the english call it and debbie was listening because the guy was sitting here and the girl was sitting across how they celebrated christmas And debbie was telling this to me because i can't hear anything anymore but what i want to i know that's what you women were thinking um I couldn't hear, but she said, she said, I thought to myself, does Christ enter into any of this? They were talking about how they would go home to the family and they would get up on Christmas Day. And by the way, we're having church on Christmas Day. Here, come, bring your kids like they are. Bring them in the pajamas. I don't care. Um, and that's fine. Don't you come in them, but you, bring, you can bring your kids um, it's going to be a great morning, one service, we'll worship. I mean, what better day to be in church than the day Christ was? we celebrate the birth of Christ? Well, it, you know, they said, we get up, we open gifts, and then the drinking starts, and we just drink until we cannot think or remember or see anything. And Debbie was saying to me, she said, I did, it just breaks your heart. She says, does Christ enter into any of this? Let me tell you something, the world has taken everything, what we believe, they despise it, they hate it. They think it's ridiculous, that it's stupid. In fact, there are those that come to church that think that. That all of this is just so much ridiculousness. That they take their life and they just spike it in the midst of the manger. They spike it in the midst of Calvary. They just spike life in the midst of it all saying, none of this is real, it's all a joke. And yet we as the people of God should be found kneeling right there at what the world spikes. I was in Dallas September the 24th, the year 2000. I was pastoring First Baptist Church of Dallas. The 49ers were in town to play the Cowboys. Now outside of the Washington Redskins, I don't think anybody Uh, is a bigger rival in Dallas other than the 49ers. And that day, they whooped Dallas 41 to 24. But the horrible thing in that game was this. (laughs) Terrell Owens, that little nimrod, Terrell Owens caught a ball in the end zone, and he turned around and he ran out of the end zone and back to midfield to the star in the middle of the field in Cowboys State, in Texas State, and there he just spiked that ball. You could hear literally guns clicking all over Dallas that day. (laughs) People were furious. They didn't care about losing the game now. It's that Terrell, they would come in here, not just beat us, but come in here and just diss us the way he just did. Boy, I'm telling you, the, stand, and the place that place was in a fit of anger until Emmett Smith caught a football in the end zone. And old Emmett Smith, he got, by the way, he got married at First Dallas. He invited us to the, to the uh, wedding, started to say funeral, to the wedding. And uh, uh, Debbie and all the kids went down and looked. There's a Emmett right there. Look at him. Look at that. Look at that star back there on that flag. And right there at the star, Emmett walks up, gallantly bedight. That noble knight kneels at the star and places that ball right there. That should be us, church. For the world spikes all its hate on the spot where our Savior was born and where he died. And it should be the place where we find ourselves kneeling and giving thanks. Take a stand in this world. Do what Moses was not willing to do. Take a stand Wear the covenant sign of Jesus Christ in the new life and kneel where the Savior was born. Let's stand. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you've never known love. You've never known what Acceptance and forgiveness and love and mercy and grace is all about. You may have heard stories of these things, but you've never experienced it yourself. And this morning, I want to call you to come to Jesus Christ. The God who so loved you that he came and he gave his life for you, that he went to a cross, and there on that cross, he shed his blood. There in Exodus 4, Moses' feet was covered in the blood of his son. But let me tell you something. Your life can be covered in the blood of the son of God and all your sins forgiven. Life becomes new. You become new. You become a new creature in Jesus Christ. Oh, come to Jesus. Come to the Christ who loves you, who gave himself for you. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, I'm standing here to pray with you. I'll pray with you. I'll tell you what you need to pray. I'll tell you what to pray. You pray it with your heart and trust in Jesus Christ today. Or right where you're standing right now, you can simply pray, Lord Jesus I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I come and I believe that you are sent of God to die for me on the cross and that you were raised from the dead to give me life and I come this morning here these weeks before Christmas these days before Christmas and I lay my heart in your hands I give you my future, I give you my life I give you all of my gifts my abilities, my talents be Lord of my life If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to come tell me. I want to rejoice with you. Others of you this morning need to come and join this church. We had a couple come earlier in the early service who walked down and said, we want to move our letter. We want to be part of this congregation. You say, that's what we want to do. We want to be a part of this church and what God is doing here. You come right now in this moment. Father, Lord, thank you for loving us in such an incredible way that before, thousands of years before, you made a determination that you would enter into a covenant with us and that it would be made with the blood of your Son and that we would be the recipients of grace that's beyond explanation. Thank you for that. I pray for those that need to come, Father, that this morning would be the day of salvation and I pray it in Jesus name thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church to find more or to connect with us about what you just heard check us out at valleydale.org